Anyway, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, please, can we go there? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I am absolutely loving the series in Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 to 2. The first three verse chapters have been a, have, has been this kind of relational interaction about the preaching of the gospel, about the word of God working. And Paul has been quite kind of out there putting, laying in some theology, laying in some some come re- relational realities about how he would love to have been there, but the devil stopped him from going there and all these things and his concern and his love for them. And now from chapter 4 and chapter 5 of Thessalonians, he starts to get stuck into some real realities and he, 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 wants, to, he wants to do the work of a teacher making sure that this church is fully undergirded with what they need to know so that they can face the future with faith and with confidence and be the church that they call to be, continue to be the church they call to be. Remember, their, their faith is being spoken of everywhere. Their, the message of the, of the Lord Jesus is ringing out everywhere. So they are doing the work. They're doing it. It's amazing. But Paul's, we'll see now, Paul's not interested in us just, just doing it. He wants us to do it more and more. We never reach the limit. We've always got to stretch more. There's always more in God for what he wants us to do. And he, he wants to make sure that they are grounded in these truths. And he writes this. As for other matters, so he kind of transitions into verse, chapter 4, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God as in fact you are doing. So when he was there before, he instructed them how to live or walk with God in order to please God. As in fact you are living. You, you, you're doing it. I instructed you how to live. You're doing it. Well done. Now we ask, remember this letter? He's been there. He's gone. He sent Timothy there. Timothy's come back and given him a good report. And now he's writing the letter to send back to Timothy with, to write to them again. He says, and now we ask, and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. We instructed you how to live, to please Jesus, to please God, but now we ask you and we urge you to do this more and more. For we know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. That's it, that's what I wanna get to this morning. Wonderful little piece of text. You see, when Paul came and he preached the gospel to them, he he gave them Jesus, he preached Jesus to them. He didn't just say, here's Jesus, do do with him what you like. He understood that the kingdom had to break into their lives and then they had to be taught to change their lifestyles and the way they walked in everyday life and the way they lived everyday life because the kingdom demanded a different ethic of their lives. So it's one thing to get Jesus, to be saved by him, but, but then you've got to be walking it out in everyday life. And so that's what he started teaching them when he was with them. So that's very quickly after. I mean, he, like we said before, he, he, was, he could have been there for three weeks, but he could have been there for three months. 
So they have got saved. They, 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 they hope, their joy, and their, their, their faith is strong in him, and they've, they've found this new faith, and straight away he starts to talk to them about how their lives now are going to change because of this kingdom that has come into their lives. You see, friends, eternal life that we receive in Christ has very observable characteristics. We have this eternal life, this kingdom life inside of us. But it actually has observable, it's, it's it, the king, you can't see what's inside of us. But people can see the way we live and the way we walk. And so he is very concerned that actually we live a life in accordance with that kingdom. That we represent Jesus well, is what he's trying to get at. Christianity in the early days was called the way. It wasn't called the way for nothing. It was called the way because it was a change of the way of life. It was a new way of living. It was a new way of thinking. It was a new way of envisioning the world around us. The kingdom of heaven had come. It was a new way of understanding the Messiah, of understanding our place on the earth and understanding ourselves in the story in which God was telling. So the understanding that every day is sacred and every day is special and every day is used for worship and ministry, not just Sunday mornings and prayer meetings and home groups or whatever the moments are. But all of our life changes. Everything matters in this great kingdom. And he had to teach them that this was the case. And he writes back to them asking and urging. He says, requesting, I'm asking you now, I'm asking you now just to to, and, and urging. Urging is a, is a stronger word. He's used it a few times in Thessalonians. It's a word that um, could, be, could be translated exhorted. It's a strong word. I'm calling you to something. I'm calling you to do this more and more. I'm asking and I'm urging you that you would do this more and more. You're doing it faithfully, but do this more and more. Don't give up. Don't stop doing this, but do it more and more. You see, friends, we've never arrived. If we're not doing this, we've got to allow the kingdom of God to so grab our hearts that we adjust our lives into this new kingdom lifestyle, this new kingdom ethic. But if we are living like that, don't think that you've arrived because there's more and more. There's always more and more in the kingdom. We never get to the bounds of the kingdom. There's always more and more that God asks of us. Nobody's ever arrived, friends. We never put somebody in a pedestal and say, well, now they've arrived. Nobody's ever arrived. There's always more, and there's more of Jesus and life in the kingdom. And just one further comment about the text before I get into the pleasing God, but which I think is what this text is actually all about. He talks about instructions in the second, in the kind of, in verse two. In the NRV, it's a little bit more, in verse 1, he talks, we instructed you how to live. That's a different word. It's, that's, it's unfortunate that it's, it's, they use the same English word, instructed. And then a little bit later on in verse 2, he says, for you know what instructions we gave you. That second one in verse 2, the instructions we gave you, you know how we, what the instructions that we gave you, that word is a very strong word that he uses. So, it's actually not normally used in a teaching setting. It's more used in a military setting. 
in a military environment. It's, it's, a, it's, a year, it's, the, it's the word used of a commanding officer giving commands to his men. It's used in Acts chapter 5, verse 28, where the Sanhedrin has Paul before them, and it says, we gave you strict orders not to teach in his name. Strict orders is that word. It's a strong, it's a strong command. In fact, some translations don't say instructions, they say commands. We commanded you. The more literal translations. You see, friends, these were not suggestions from Paul. These were commands from Jesus. And you see that also in the text because what he does is he, is he says there that we inst- we, what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the, these things that he's talking about, we often get confused, but sure, surely stand we live by grace. Yes, we do live by grace. In fact, to follow these instructions, we need the grace of God. But we do need to understand that there's a new way of living that the kingdom of God will ask of us and pull us into if we're living by faith in what God's called us to. You see, these commands come by the authority of Jesus himself, according to this text. Paul's doing the instruction, Paul's doing the teaching, but it's actually under the delegated authority of Jesus himself. And what, we, what, what carries on in verse chapter 4 is he begins to look at f- a number of areas. We're not going to get into them now, but we're going to unpack each of them as we go through the weekends. He looks at pleasing God. You see, that whole text is about pleasing God. We've taught you how to pl- walk in such a way as to please God. So how do we please God? What does it mean to live to please God? That's what I want to get into our hearts. What does it mean to please God? But he looks at, in chapter 4, he looks at pleasing God in our sexual ethic. He looks at God at pleasing God in our neighborly love, how we love one another. And he looks at pleasing God in our work, in our daily work lives. And he looks at pleasing God in our bereavement, in our grieving says, how do we, you want to know how to please God? Well, it's very practical because it's not kind of like a spiritual thing that you do when you're in prayer meetings. No, it's just kind of in your sexual ethic, the way you conduct yourself, the way you conduct yourself with your neighbor, the way you operate and live out your work life, and the way you do things when you have loss and bereavement and you're grieving with people, grieving for the loss of people that have died in your life. He says, actually, this is how you please God. It's an amazing, amazing thing. The Bible is unbelievably practical. It's, it's incredibly heavenly, but it's incredibly practical in its outworking when we live, when we take those truths and apply them with faith in our lives. And so he begins to work that out. But he ha- there is this text where he talks about, I've taught you how to please God. You thought about that? Right through the text, we have Jesus saying this. The Bible talks many times and multiple times about pleasing God, how we meant to please God, how we meant to live a life to please God. John chapter 8, verse 29 of Jesus says this, the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I do what pleases him. I always do what pleases him. 
Jesus himself lived a life where he only did what he saw the Father doing. He lived a life in order to please the Father. Paul carries on in 1 Thessalonians 2, chapter 4, chapter 2, verse 4. He says, we're not trying to please people, but we're trying to please God, who tests our heart, he says. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, Paul says this, so we make it our goal to please him, whether we're in the body or whether we're outside the body. Talking about, I'd rather be with the Father and not be on earth, actually. I'd rather be with him. His revelation of God, he'd rather be dead and with God than be on earth here and facing what he's facing. But he says, in order to please him, in order to serve the body, I I have to be here. So actually, it doesn't matter. I just want to please him. Romans chapter 8, verse 8 says this, those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. So if we're living by the flesh, you cannot please God. But if we're living by the Spirit, it carries on in in Romans chapter 8. But it says, but you are not of the flesh, but you are of the Spirit. And this is how you please God. So there's this, this thing of how do we live a life that pleases God? Because this is what Paul was teaching them, how to please God, how to live a life that pleases God. It's a radical concept to live a life that pleases God. It's so counterculture because actually everything on TV and every advert is made and designed to please you, to bring pleasure to you and to please your desires and to bring everything, make everything about you and about me. And the Bible says it's not about you, it's about Him. It's about pleasing Him. If you're pleasing you and not pleasing Him, you're in trouble. It's a, radical, it's a radical shift, especially in Paul's day. We think their day was kind of mild compared to ours. Friends, it was sexually off the charts. It was morally off the charts in those days, as much as it is today, if not worse. This message was seriously countercultural, counter the environment in which people found themselves living. Pleasing God instead of pleasing self. And also what pleasing God does is it changes our motive. It changes our, the, the big why do we do this? You see, the reason why we live the life that we do and we say no to sin and we say no to, we have a sexual ethic and we have a work ethic and we have a, we, when people die, we, we grieve, but we, we grieve with hope. And we treat our neighbors differently to the, what other people treat their neighbors. The reason why we do that is not because we have a do's and don'ts list by regulations and laws. We do it because we long to please Him. You see, it gives us a big why for why we do this. It's because we're trying to please God. We don't live to please me. We live to please Him. And what's incredible about this pleasing of God, there's always more and more. It's always developing. We never arrive with our pleasing of God. But you see, to live like this, we have to have faith. We have to have faith. We have to live by faith. I come back to my favorite text for this season, Hebrews 11 verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So to live a life of pleasing God has to be undergirded by faith. You see, the reason why we have a sexual ethic that's different to the church, 
different to, in the church that's different to the world is because we live by faith, not by my feelings. We don't, we live by faith in what God has said because he said if you live like this, there'll be honor and there'll be life. At the moment, it doesn't feel like it because all I wanna do is have sex with this person that I feel like I love, but we're not married yet. God says, don't do that. In this particular text, when I preach next, that's what I'm gonna be preaching on. Why? But you gotta, have, you gotta live by faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You see, friends, and the reason why without faith it's impossible to please God is because you cannot please God by being self-sufficient. You cannot please God by being self-sufficient. You've got to trust Him. We please Him when we turn to Him, not in our own resource, but we depend on His resource, and we depend on His Word, and we depend on the value that He brings. So he becomes our source. We become God-reliant and God-dependent. This pleases God. You know, it's, it's quite a radical thing because I, I, I think Matt's got married and, and Matt and Emma are now in their own house and, and like I'm actually quite excited that they're independent, that they're not reliant on me. Partly because I just haven't got resource to be able to keep going. <laughs> School fees, varsity fees, etc., etc., etc. Done. But God is not like me. He's got everything at his disposal. He loves it when we depend on him. So it's impossible to please God without living by faith. Without saying, God, you've spoken this to us, Lord, we're going to trust you and we're going to take steps and we're going to walk into that by faith because we're trusting you. We're not trusting people to give. We're trusting you, Lord Jesus, to provide. Deuteronomy 11, verse 10. Melindy put this on our elders group a week ago. I tell you what, this text... Uh, it came up again in a discussion I was having with somebody else this week. It so stirred me. It says this. Read it. Please read it. Deuteronomy 11 from 9 right the way through. He says this to his people. Remember, God is preparing his people. Moses is preparing the people to enter the, the land. He says to them, he says, just remember this. The land that you're about to enter into is not like the land of Egypt. When you got saved, friends, the life that you live now is not like the life, life you used to live. We've got to shift our mind. That's what repentance is. Change our mindset. Change the way we think. Change into something else. See the world differently because we have a king that's for us now. He says, he goes on to say, in those days, and there it was, it was always scarce. He says, and it's like, it's like what you used to have was like watering a vegetable garden with a foot pump. This is my transliteration. 
You used, to, you used to be able to water a vegetable garden. You used to sustain yourself with a vegetable garden, and you used to water it with a foot pump. Eventually, you get tired one of the kids. You have as many kids as you can, because then you can just keep going. He says, the land is not like that. It's not a land of vegetable gardens. It's a land of mountains and valleys that are watered with heavenly rain. See, a foot pump's not going to do it in this land. If you've got vegetable garden thinking, you're going to have foot pump solutions. But if you've got milk and honey, land of God, faith thinking, you need the, the, the water of heaven, the rain of heaven to take care of this land because you cannot do it. It's too big. And he says, don't panic. If you love me, if you obey my commands and you love me with all of your heart and all of your soul and everything that you are, I will watch over that land. I will take care of it from the beginning to the end. I'll bring the, I'll bring the rain in the autumn. I'll bring the rain in the spring. And then you will be able to gather your grain You'll be able to gather your new wine and you'll be able to gather your olives in exactly the right space. It's an amazing thing. I'll bring the, the rain in the autumn and the spring. You'll get both lots of rain. And you think, well, Lord, surely you actually just want rain all the time. No, you don't. You don't want rain all the time. You want rain when it's meant to rain so that you have dry seasons so that you can harvest, gather, winnow, and do its thing so that you can take that, produ that production and release it and eat it and sell it and make produce. God says, don't worry about it. I will take care of it. In its time, I will do what needs to be done. My eyes on it. You just love me. See, friends, living a life of faith, that's what it means. That's what it means. The first thing we need to have in place to live a life that pleases God is we've got to live by faith. Romans chapter 14, verse 23 says this, everything that does not come from faith is sin. Everything that does not come from faith is sin. So what he's doing he's, in Romans 14 is a, is a text about disputable matters. Can I eat this and... Can I go on this day? And, and these kind of matters. And some people are saying, yes, you can. And other people are like, yeah, but I, I used to come from that. And I don't know if I want to eat that anymore because I know where it came from. And I know what blessed it. And, and that was demonic and this and that. At the end of the day, Paul comes to them and says, listen to me now. Whatever you do, do it by faith. Because whatever is not from faith is sin. And don't put your faith on somebody else. And expect them to live by faith that you've got. Let them live by the level of faith that they have. Because otherwise you're causing them to sin. In order to please God, you've got to live by faith. And everybody's got different levels of faith for different things at different moments. And we've got to trust God for all of the high water mark. And a building project and these things allows our high water mark. Our, our, it's like the tide level rises on all of our faith. Got to trust God to live by faith. 
Let me end with taking you to Colossians chapter 1, verse 10 to 12. Living by faith. What does it mean to live by faith? What does it mean to please God? Well, it means that you've, the first thing you've got to do is to live by faith. This is what it says in, one, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 10 to 12. Verse 9, 9b, it says this. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. And this is now Paul praying for the Colossians. He says, we pray that God will fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit of God gives. Lord, please, just fill these people with knowledge. Let the Spirit of God please teach these people so that, verse 10, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. And then in the NIV, you see there's a colon there. Do you see that? There's a colon there, which means there's a list coming. So straight away, you know, hang on, there's a list coming. So if you want to know what pleases God, here's a list of a couple of things that pleases God. And Paul's praying, Lord, fill them with faith. Spirit of God, please teach them that they would know your will and understand your will, that they could live in such a way to live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. This is the list. Bearing fruit in every good work. Growing in the knowledge of God. Being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might so that you may have endurance and patience. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the holy people in the kingdom of light. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. Number one, bearing fruit in every good work. So a life that pleases God, a life of faith, it's a faith that works. And I love this bearing fruit in every good way because it's, it, it implies this through good works. So there's some work that God wants you to do by faith that pleases Him. You come stand, what must I do? Get before the Father and ask Him what you must do. You must have faith for that work that you must do. But bearing fruit in every good work. So that could be bearing fruit through the good work. But it's also bearing fruit while doing the good work. So in other words, your motive is good. You're not, this, you're not doing this thing trying to prove something to God. You're doing this because you're wanting to please Him in every way. So how do we please God? We live by faith. That faith looks, it looks like these four things, bearing fruit in every good work, living a fruitful life. Pleasing God looks like living a fruitful life. Number two, growing in the knowledge of God. Growing in the knowledge of God. My dictionary said this, the precise and correct knowledge of who God is. You wanna please God? Get to know who he is precisely. Knowing God pleases him. 
It pleases him when we get to know who he is, who he is in his heart, who he is in his character, how he functions, his ways. He loves the fact that we want to know who he is and how he operates. Want to know how to bear fruit? Want to know how to please God? Live a fruitful life and get to know him. Number three, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance. The ability to endure and be patient. Problems and things with great joy pleases God. In circumstances and with people, endure, be patient. Because you see, the reason why we're patient and endure is because we've got faith. We can't see how this is going to, but I've got faith. I'm sure of what I'm hopeful. I'm certain of what I do not see. I've got faith. I've got faith for this. Endurance and patience in the heart of a believer living by faith pleases God. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't give up on your marriage. Endurance and patience. How much do you need? Ask Jesus what he went through. And then lastly, giving joyful thanks to the Father who qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. In Colossians, there's four things that we learn pleases God. One, being, living a fruitful life. Two, knowing God. Three, living a life of endurance and patience with faith in our heart and joy. And number four, being grateful. Gratitude pleases God. When we thank God, when you're in the midst of whatever you're going through, begin to thank God. It pleases Him. Because when you're in the midst of thanking God, when you can't see what's going on and the enemy's bearing down and the army's under, underpowered, but the, the enemy of the, of the, of the enemy, the, the strength of the enemy is greater than yours, and, but you begin to thank God for the victory, it pleases Him because you're full of faith. I want to encourage us, Glenridge, at this time, what pleases God is faith. And that faith gets outworked in a multiplicity of ways. And we're going to talk about the sexual ethic and the neighborhood, the neighborhood love. And we're going to talk about the work ethic and the, the way, we, way we grieve in him. But this morning, I want to encourage us that pleasing God looks like knowing him. It looks like being grateful to him. It looks like enduring and being patient. And it looks like living a fruitful life. If we can do that, those are the simple things. It's just, how do we do that? Ask, go before the God Father and say, God, show me how, what this means for me in my context, in my life, in my marriage, in my family, with my neighbors, in my context. Lord, help me, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you guys.